We are in Matthew chapter 21. As I, and as, as I have mentioned previously, uh, I'll uh, read from the New King James translation. Uh, whenever I refer to a different translation, uh, usually I compare between, uh, between the New King James and the King James, but written primarily from the King James. Matthew chapter 21, and beginning here in verse 14. And this is under the, the section here is Christ was cleansing the temple in verses 12 through 17. We talked about this last week, uh, how Christ went to the temple and he drove them out. Uh, I believe that was the account there in Luke's, uh, Luke's account that he drove them out. And Luke chapter, um, actually I believe it's John's account that says he drove them out. Yes, John uh, chapter 2 and verse uh, 15 says, When he had made a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen and poured out the changers' money and overturned the tables. Uh, again, we're talking about how Christ went to the temple and drove these people out because he says here in verse uh, 16, he says, uh, Do not make my father's house a house of merchandise. There in John 2 and verse uh, 16. And Matthew and Mark's account, uh, he calls, he says here, do not, uh, he, he says, you have made it a den of thieves, Matthew chapter uh, 21, verse 13. And he said to them, it is written, my house should be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. Now, beginning in verse 14, he, we find here, the Bible says, then the, then the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. But when the chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying out in the temple, saying, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. Uh, the word indignant means they're, they have moved, they, they were very displeased. Uh, they're very upset, very angry about what Christ was doing. And so they did not like him cleans, uh, doing these things. They did not like uh, him being uh, healing these people. When they, but we find here in verse um in verse 15, he says, uh, the Bible says here, when the chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful things that he did. You know, isn't it sad that these individuals were so spiritually blind, unwilling to recognize Christ as the Son of God, unwilling to accept him as the Son of God, because, as I've said many times before, he was not what they wanted him to be. They wanted him to come in, basically, and to be just like them and go along, go right along with them and not rebuff them at any time. But he did that. He did rebuff them. He did rebuke them for uh, the things that they were doing because they were teaching as, as if they were doctrines and commandments of men. As we also found there, uh, I believe it's there back in Matthew chapter 15. But we find here in verse 15, the Bible says, when they saw the wonderful things that he did, the wonderful things that he did. What were the wonderful things? Verse 14, uh, the blind and lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. But their response in verse 15 was that they, that, is that they became very indignant. Looking at verse uh, 16, he said to them, Do you hear what these are saying? Uh, and they and, and said to him, sorry, the, the chief priests and the scribes are ones who are speaking here in verse 16, and said to him, Do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, Yes. Have you never read out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants you have perfected praise? Uh, now, uh, he quotes here from Psalm chapter 8 and verse 2. Uh, these people can be can be offended at the children, uh, or cannot be should not be offended that children are expressing religious thoughts as uh, all as they want to. But Jesus reflects the, the Jew, or excuse me, reflects the the joy of heaven over the praise that often comes from children. 
He says here, out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants, you have perfected praise. Because what were they calling him? Hosanna to the son of David, there in verse 15. Verse 17, then, then he left them and went out of the city to Bethany, and he lodged there, verse 17. Verse 18 and 19, and this is in verses 18 and 19 are also found in Mark chapter 11, verses 12 through 14. But we find here in this section uh, the withered tree, which is a very interesting uh, thing to consider the, the events that happen here. Uh, we look here in verse 20. Let's just, let's just look at the text here. Looking at Matthew chapter 21, verse 20. And when the disciples saw it, they marveled. Uh, excuse me, I'm sorry. Look at verse 18. I got, went too far ahead here. Verse 18. Now in the morning, as he returned to the city, he was hungry. And seeing a fig tree a fig tree by the road, he came to it and found nothing on it but leaves, and, and said to it, Let no fruit grow on you ever again. Immediately the tr fig tree withered away. Uh, verse 20, When the disciples saw it, they marveled, saying, How did the fig tree wither away so soon? So Jesus answered and said, said to them, As surely I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what was, what was done to the fig tree, but also, if you say to this mountain, be removed and, but, and be cast into the sea, it will be done. And whatever things you ask in prayer, believing, you will receive. Now, this is verses 18 through 22 really should be lumped together here. Because he's talking about really the, the power of faith and the power of prayer. Uh, we look here in verse uh, 21 of, of this text. And he says to them, Surely I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you'll not only do this, do what was done to the fig tree, but also, but also, if you say that the mountain be removed and be cast into the sea, it will be done. Uh, he says, "If you have faith and, and do not doubt, uh, faith and doubt are in complete contrast. You cannot have faith and yet doubt." One of the reasons for this lesson is, is that the faith of disciples were, was wavering at different times. Um, removing the mountain remember this is a day of miracles there is no limit in the power of god and with proper faith they could literally remove the mountain uh and now again this was in the age of miracles that means the miracles we know were were done to confirm that, that that christ was from god that when the apostles spoke later from acts 2 and following that uh that when they taught the word of god they were then perform a miracle to show that their message was from God. And so uh, that was the purpose of that. And, but here in, in the context, he's talking about them having faith. The emphasis really is not more, is not so much on the, the abilities that the, the, the apostles would have, as we know they would have the miraculous abilities to do various things we find from Acts 2 and following. But the focus here really is upon the faith, to have, this, to have faith without doubting. Do not worry. Uh, the apostles uh, many times... Uh, especially before Acts two, to, to me you find you find the these men who were uh, worrying and were, were afraid at times, and yet you find in chapter two and beyond that they were men of, of bold, bold faith. You find men that were greatly encouraged. Uh, but Christ here is trying to strengthen them by encouraging them to just to to keep their faith, to keep their faith in God, and that anything is possible. And he says in verse twenty two, whatever things you you ask in prayer, believing, you will receive. And we know that when they ask things in prayer, it has to be in accordance with the Word of God. They cannot ask sinful things and expect God to, to give them what they wanted. These things had to be in accordance to the will of God. That means they had to be righteous, noble things. Looking at verse 23 and, and going through verse, uh, from verse 23, going through here to about verse 27. 
you have uh, the heading here. The heading I have here is the chief priests and elders question the authority of Jesus. Looking at verse 23. Now, when he came into the temple, the chief priests and elders of the people confronted him as he was teaching and said, By what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority? But Jesus answered and said to them, I also will ask you one thing, which of, which if you tell me, I likewise will tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John, where was it from? From heaven or from men? And they reasoned among themselves, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say to us, Why then did you not believe him? But if we say from men, we fear the multitude, for, for all count John as a prophet. So he answered and said, We do not know. And he said to them, Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. And so this here is Matthew 21, 23 through, through 27. And uh, good morning, Sheila. Thank you for joining us this morning. And so as we look here in verse 23 through 27, he, he, they're questioning by what authority he's, he's doing these things. One of the reasons why is because we're not that far removed from the cleansing of the temple back in verse 12 and following. Now, we look here in verse 20, uh, 23, when he came to the temple, uh, the chief priests and elders of the people confronted him as he was teaching. Now, this is he's returning back to the temple now after he has cleansed it. Uh, and, the, and the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now, these are supposed to be religious people. The chief priests and the elders of the people, these are supposed to be those who these individuals could look to for uh, faith, for encouragement, and, and for guidance. And we find here in verse 23, they're literally questioning the Son of God. They're literally questioning Christ. And they ask and they say, by what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority? Now, I'm thinking about today how this is a question we should ask many times our leaders in the church today, making sure that when we see things, we think, well, maybe this isn't right. Ask them, Did you, by what authority are you doing these things? That, in context, is not wrong. Now, the problem we find here in verse 23 and following with these chief priests and the elders is that they were unwilling to, to be honest with Christ and to be straightforward. It's because in Christ, of course, knowing the hearts of men, was able to, to go right to the heart of the matter. Uh, he was able to, to, he knew their minds, he knew their heart, and he could ask those questions that would show just how hypocritical and how phony these guys were. Because they were so many, and not unlike today, were phony. We're not talking about people who, who are trying to be a Christian and then make mistakes from sometimes and, and must repent. But that's not what we're talking about. Because people who are phony are not are going to be those who don't repent. People who are phony are going to be those who say, well, I've done nothing wrong. This was okay, you know, and just dismiss you or just, or just when you try to ask them why you're doing this, why, why you think this is okay, they're going to just, just dismiss you and not repent at all. Uh, those things are, are not uncommon either. But we look here in verse 23, they ask a question, by what authority are you doing these things? And, he, and who gave you this authority? Now, if we apply that today, when we see things that we think may not be correct, we need to ask the question, by what authority are you doing these things? If you have elders, ask your elders. When you have no elders, you know, uh, ask some of the men, you know, can you, why are we doing this? By what authority do we have to do these types of things? Um, <clears throat> we understand we do this with respect. We're not, we're not coming at people, charging them like a mad bull saying, what are you doing? Um, but we need to ask those questions. We, we need to not be afraid to ask those questions. And if we are just dismissed, you know, and and not paid attention to, and I'm not saying that you know, sometimes people ask a question and they're given an answer and maybe they're not happy with it. Um, <coughs> excuse me. 
maybe they're not happy with it. And so if they just continue on and continue on. Because there are times when a congregation will do something and we think, well, is that correct? And then we are given a Bible answer and we, that, that is correct. It shows that we have authority for doing whatever it is we're talking about. Uh, for We have authority for helping the needy. Um, and yet we have those who, when they're showing that Bible answer, will not, will not listen, will not accept it. Uh, well, just because you will not accept, accept it, if it is the truth, does not change a uh, right to wrong. But we look here in verse 23, their authority, their questioning is Christ. Now, <coughs> excuse me, I should put some water over here this morning. Uh, verse 24, notice how Christ responds. And verse 24, but Jesus answered and said to them, I also will ask you one thing, which if you tell me, I likewise will tell you about what authority I do these things. Now, I'm sure the critic would say, well, see, Christ is dodging the question. You can almost hear, right? Some liberal news stations today probably would do this as well. See, they're dodging the question. They refuse us to answer. You can almost just hear, right? It's too predictable. But, <coughs> but what we find here is that these men were not being honest. They did not really want the truth. They were really trying to condemn Christ. Because look what Christ asked in verse 25. The baptism of John. Where was it from? From heaven or from men? Meaning, was it something that was given from God to do, or is it something that just came from men? Now, look at verse 25. We continue reading. And they reason among themselves, saying, Now notice this. This shows that they know the answer. We're not willing to give it. If we say from heaven, he will say to us, Why then did you not believe him? Because what did, what did John do? John prepared the way for Christ. <coughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> why then did you not believe him? Verse 26, but if we say from men, we fear the multitude for, for all count John as a prophet, saying we can't say he's just, that it was from men because, because he says for men, we fear the multitude for all count John as a prophet, as a prophet from God, which he was. And so they can't say that it was from heaven because they know that Christ is going to sit around and say, well, why don't you listen to him? Because John the baptizer was all about Christ, him, right? So they can't say that because that defeats their argument and what they're trying to accomplish. They can't say it was from men because the multitude counts John as a prophet from God. And so this is what we're saying is we can't lie and say he, he it was from men. We can't say it's from heaven because then it's going to point right back to Jesus. And so what they do in verse 27, so they answered Jesus and said, we do not know. <laughs> Did they know? Yes, they knew. But they didn't want to give the answer because either way, it would make them, it revealed their hypocrisy. Well, their hypocrisy is revealed anyway because they say we do not know. Now, wait a second, because some should say, well, wait a second, you're the chief priest. You're, you know, one, you're one of the elders. You do not know this? Then why are we following you? You know, um, So they answered Jesus and said, we do not know. And he said to them, neither will I tell you about what authority to do these things. Why? They don't want to know. They're not going to listen. It's not Christ dodging a question. It's Christ revealing the heart of these people. Uh, what authority does Christ do these things? By the authority of God. That's what he do. That's how he does these things. And he's already said that many times before, all the way up to, to this point. Christ has mentioned already his doctrine is not his own. It's from who? It's from God. Uh, he talks about, he mentioned many times, he uses the phrase many times, him who sent me. Uh, talking about him coming from God. Uh, and so we know 
he cries has already said numerous times where his authority comes from. It's from God. He calls him. He refers to himself as a son of God. He's believed. He's believed. I mean, to be the son of God. Thus, his authority comes from God. The problem is these people. <coughs> excuse me. Did not want to do that. They did not want to answer in any way that could show that Christ was the Son of God. The problem was it was too late. <coughs> uh, I apologize for <coughs> my coughing. Looking at verse 28. In verse 28 and following, you have the some call it the parable of the two sons. Sometimes you have the opposite reactions of two sons in verses 28 through 32. Uh, now, this is a really a continuation um, of what Christ was, of who Christ he was talking to. Now, he was just talking to, in verse 23, the chief priests and elders of the people. In verse 27, he says, neither will I tell you about authority to do these things. He says in verse 28, so he can, continues on. Uh, many uh, Bibles will have a separation there, but he's talking to the same group of people. He says, well, what do you think? Uh, he says here, but what do you think? A man had two sons. And he came to the first and said, Son, go work today in my vineyard. And he answered and said, I will not. But afterward he regretted it and went. Then he came to the second and said, Likewise. And he answered and said, I go, sir. But he did not go. Which of the two did the will of his father? They said to him, The first. Jesus said to them, Surely I said to you that tax collectors and harlots enter the kingdom of God before you. Now who actually went to the vineyard, right? Look, Go back and look here for a second. 29, he answered and said, I will not go. But afterward, he regretted it and went. So who actually did it? Well, we find here that we find in verse 29, the first did not said he would not go, but then he went. The second said what? Uh, likewise, he answered, I go, sir, but he did not go. Uh, neither did neither obeyed, because, uh, did the will of, will of the Father, because neither neither really did what they were supposed to do. Uh, the first said, said he will not go. That shouldn't have been the answer. And then he went. The second said he'd go, and then he uh, said uh, he'd go, but he did not go. Neither did the will of the Father, because neither obeyed. Neither obeyed uh, and did what were, were should have been done the first time. Um, Jesus said, Surely I say to you that tax collectors and harlots enter the kingdom of God before you. There in verse 31. Uh, which, which did the will of the Father? The answer the first. The answer is a powerful, what the Patterson says here, is a powerful indictment of the complacency of these Jewish leaders. Both categories are to be found in the reaction to the preaching of John, and, and both are to be found in the reaction to the preaching of Jesus. They claim, they claim to be workers for God and of God. It is clear their promise to God has not been kept. Um, some of these individuals were like the first son. This statement means that the publicans and the harlots were more likely to, to hear and become Christians more readily than the Jews. Most of us prefer men who would change their mind if, if that is what is needed and do the Lord's will. Um, but they needed to be rebuked, right? Because they were not, neither did, did what was right, honestly. Uh, you know, first, uh, one said, he said, he says, I will not go, then he regretted it. But what should his response have been? It should have been, okay, I'll go, then he should have went. Um, the second said, I'll, uh, I go, sir, but he, then he did not go. Well, she's, no, he should have said, I'll go, sir, and then he should actually went. Uh, and so you can find fault in both of those. Uh, but he says here in verse 31, they say the first, and Jesus says in verse 31, Truly I see you that tax collectors and harlots enter the kingdom of God before you. Why? Because there are going to be people who are going to hear. You're not going to hear. That's what he's talking about. He says, For John came to you in the way of the wilderness, in the way of righteousness, and there in verse 32, 
and you did not believe. Uh, and so what, what is he saying? He's saying that you're like the first one. He says, I will not, but afterward he regretted it. Only problem is they're not regretting it. They said in verse 32, John came, but what they do, they didn't listen. Did they regret it though? No, they didn't, they didn't regret it. They didn't believe him. Uh, for John came to you in the way of righteousness and you did not believe him. But tax collectors and the harlots will leave him. When you saw it, you did not afterward relent and believe. So he's saying here, he's saying that you said the first one was right, but yet we find in verse 32, he says, but you're not like the first one. Because why? Because you heard John the baptizer. You do not believe. Then you try and you condemn those who believed. And he says in verse 32, you did not afterward relent or regret it, as was said in the verse 29, and believe him. He's saying you're not like the first one. You say the first one did what was right, but yet you're not, you're not even like him. You didn't have that change of heart to eventually believe. Now, we think about, you know, Christ gives some, what we sometimes call some stinging rebukes. And we have to realize sometimes and remind ourselves that Christ is the Son of God. He knew the hearts of men. We also have to realize that different Sometimes people have to need to be handled differently. Some have to require a softer approach, some a more direct approach. I'm not saying a rude approach, I'm saying a direct approach. Now, Christ, being the Son of God, knew who to knew the hearts of men, knew how to handle each and every one of them. So when he gives this rebuke here in, in verse uh, 31, he, when he tells them, Sir, I see the tax collector and the harlots into the kingdom of God before you, that sounds like a harsh rebuke. It, it is, it's a strong one. But that's what they needed to hear because he explains in verse 32 why he says that. He says, you heard John, but you didn't believe him. He says, but then tax collectors and the hardest believed him, and then you condemned them, right? That's why he says they entered the kingdom of God before you, because you condemned them for believing someone that you wouldn't even believe. He says in verse 32, you did not afterward relent and believe and believe him. All right, next you have the parable of the, sometimes you call it the parable of the wicked vine dressers. Sometimes you call it the parable of the householder who planted a vineyard. And this is from verse 33. Uh, going through, and we're probably going to get to all this before we run out of time. This goes through to the end of the chapter, um, beginning in Matthew 21 and verse 33. <clears throat> Here the Bible says, Here in the parable, and this again is Christ speaking to those same people, the chief priests and the elders of the people. There was a certain landowner, there was a certain landowner who planted a vineyard and set a hedge around it, dug a wine press in it, and built a tower. And he leased it to vine dressers and went to a far country. Now, when the vintage time drew near, he sent his servants to the, to the vine dressers that they might receive its fruit. Now, all of this was taking place in verse 33 and 34, perfectly legal. This is what you do. This is what you did, I should say. Uh, he, he, he planted a vineyard. He set a hedge around it. He dug a wine press and he built a tower and then he leased it to vine dressers, men who are going to work it right. And then he went to far country. So basically, he's like, it's like building a business and having putting, have, uh, putting employees in there and then you going home and letting them work and then coming in and, and getting your deposit, basically, you know. And, and, and that's, that's the kind of the concept we find here, right? It's fruit. We like going into a business and getting, getting the, the, the profits for the day and, and going to the bank. Um, because that's how it works, right? You hire people, they you know they work, you pay them, you get your profits. That's how it works since the beginning of time. Uh, verse 35, here's the problem. And the vine dressers took his servants, beat one, 
killed one and stoned another. That's like someone going through business to get the profits and go to the bank and they're beaten up by their own employees. That's the vision you have here, right? And you think, that's crazy. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Uh, 36. Again, he sent other servants, more than the first, and they did likewise to them. So he sends more people, the same thing happens. And picture again the same idea today, that modern application there. You send, okay, we're going to send more people there and see what's going on, and we're going to get that taken care of. And it happens again. Uh, and they killed one and stoned another. Uh, verse 36, again, he sent other servants more than the first, and they did likewise to them. Then, the, then last of all, he sent his son to them, saying they respect my son, saying, so basically it's like saying, I'm going to send my own son in this place, and they're, gonna, they're not going to touch him. That's my son. And then he's going to straighten all this out. Verse 38, but when the vinedressers saw the son, they said to him, so they said among themselves, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him and seize his inheritance. So they took him and cast him in the vineyard and killed him. Therefore, when the owner of the, vine, of the vineyard comes, what will he do to the, those vine dressers? Now, again, it's like coming, coming in there with the police <coughs> after all these things have happened. I mean, this is modern-day application, right? Um, well, let's be honest. It's, <laughs> anything is possible nowadays. And you go in there and you they do what? They, they arrest all the employees who've been doing these things. And, and, and then it's why well, you ask, sometimes they ask the question, you wish to press charges. Well, of course, well, they're going through anyway in that situation. Um, and so, but look here in verse 40, when, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those vine dressers? I mean, what's going to happen to these guys? They said to him, he will destroy those wicked men miserably and lease his vineyard to other vine dressers. He will render to him the fruits and their season. So it's like saying, He's going, to, he's going to fire every one of them. They're all going to go to jail. They're all going to go to prison. They're all going to be punished. That's how we apply today. And then what happened? He'd, he'd hire a whole new crew, right? <laughs> That's kind of a, how, how I think about today. Uh, verse 42, Jesus said to them, Have you never read this in the scriptures? The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing and is marvelous in our, in our eyes. Therefore, I say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken from you and given to a nation, bringing the fruits of it. What is he, what is he doing? What's he, what's he saying? He's saying, you're these, you're these people, you're, you're these evil vine dressers who's been beating people and, and, and killing those who come to them. That's what he's talking about. He says, whoever falls on this stone will, will be broken, but on whomever it falls, it will grind him to powder. And so he, he paints a picture that they are the wicked vine dressers. They are the ones abusing his servants. They are the ones who are sent in and sent in, and then he sent his son, which is Christ. And and what happens? He says they do not respect his son, and they kill him. Right? He's saying that's who you are. I mean, what an incredible illustration, right? I mean, you have this story painting like, okay, I'm falling, I'm falling, and then it's all of a sudden, boom! By the way, that's you. <laughs> Christ is the greatest illustrator that the world has has ever seen. It, it's. It's incredible. Every time you read the parables, every time you read where Christ is using something to illustrate things to people, it's incredible each and every time because he did it better than anyone. Um, now, the chief priests and Pharisees heard the parables. They perceived that he was speaking of them. Exactly. But when they but when they suddenly laid hands on him, they feared the multitudes because they took him for a prophet. They wanted to what? They wanted to kill him. But uh, they feared the crowd. They feared the multitude. And so because the multitude counted him as a prophet, uh, that is being being a messenger from God, and so they can do so. Uh, Christ again shows them that their heart is not right. Their heart is not right before God. They're, they are so far gone, but yet Christ, when they come to Him trying to rebuke Him, He still tries to bring them back.
Okay, we're going to stop there this morning. Uh, when we come back next time, we'll pick you up in Matthew chapter 22, looking at the parable of the wedding feast, which is also found in Luke 14, 15 through 24. So I do thank you for being here with me today. I hope you have enjoyed this program. I hope that has been encouragement to you. And I hope you will tune in again next week. Uh, I will be at the Branson Lectureship next week, speaking on, on uh, Sunday at 4 p.m. So if you're interested in hearing, be sure to tune in for that. that. All those links are on the Branson's Facebook page as well as their website as well. And then all those lessons also will be on Bible Media when that lectureship is concluded. So we do thank you for being here with us today. Hope you have found this uh, time encouraging. Uh, thank you for the, thank those who are tuning in and hope to see you again next time.